When I was in college, I sort of had the, the great, wonderful, and interesting experience of having a lot of roommates. I, I was in dorms the whole time uh, that I was in college and, and never sort of settled into to one certain roommate. Somebody would graduate or, or, or move into an apartment or whatever the case was. And it became a great joy for me. I really, I really enjoyed getting to meet different people who, who sort of came in as roommates. I, I even did summer school, and then that brought in a host of new people. I remember this one guy was on a spiritual journey. He, he didn't care much for religion, and I always say I don't really care much for religion either. When, when, when you're defining religion as a set of rules and, and rituals that you have to obey in order to, to find God, because that's not who God is. When you open the pages of the Bible, that's not who we find him to be. But, but my friend was on a journey of spirituality, which I, I relate to, deeply wanting to understand spiritual truth. And, and to me, when you look across the landscape of this world, every man, woman, and child that lives on this planet is on one singular journey, and that's to find out who God is. Most people in the world today acknowledge that, that there is a, a being who created us. I, that may or may not be prevalent in in some circles within the states. But if you take the global population, you're going to find that most people believe that there is a God, and so the quest is to find out who he is. And so we find ourselves on this spiritual journey, I think, for all of us, if we keep from being derailed by the things of life. And one of the things that shocks me the most is how so many people can get so caught up in so many things of this world that they take the most important journey any of us will be on and they shove it to the side. There's nothing more important than our journey with God. It not only determines our present and our future, but for those of us who believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible, it also determines our eternity. So we are talking about our short existence on this world, what we believe, what we think, how we act, determining the rest of our eternity. Now that's of tremendous Wait for us. And once we land where we land, it becomes a point of tremendous joy. And that's what happened to my friend in college. We began a series of discussions. We were going back and forth about his spiritual journey and and what that could look like. And he wanted to know what it was like to follow Jesus. And it was an incredible honor to share with him. Honestly, I didn't have the right words. I didn't really know what to say. I still wouldn't today if I were together with him. But he was authentic, I was authentic, and we just sat around and talked. He began to come to church with me, he wanted to experience what it was like to be around a bunch of people who followed Jesus, and he was blown away by the way that people loved one another. I found it so striking that that, that was his main comment. I remember the day where he got to the point where he said to me, Peter, I want to follow Jesus. You know, I have surveyed everything that I've surveyed in my spiritual journey And what I've seen about those who follow Jesus is just different. There's something beautiful, something attractive, and something compelling. And I watched my friend surrender his heart and his life to Jesus. And I I respected so much about him that there was this deep hunger to know spiritual truth and and to follow it. If I meet someone who's Muslim or or Buddhist or, or any other world religion, and they are deeply seeking spiritual truth, I can greatly respect that. Even though I land in a different place, I can greatly respect that. But here was a guy who went through that journey, and he, he landed in the same place 
as he went through the, the Bible and we talked together, and we just began this journey together, what I saw in him was this, this hunger that translated from wanting to know who the real God was to wanting to know God. So the question I think Jesus would ask many of us tonight if you were here is, what are we hungry for? And if we're really, really hungry for him and for a move his hand in our life, how is that being lived out in us? And what does that look like? Well, he's going to give us a tool for that tonight. Matthew chapter 9. It has been such a joy for us as a church to be able to walk through the book of Matthew together. Steve had an incredible sermon last week. If you haven't listened, I encourage you uh, to grab it online. And we are together tonight. Matthew chapter 9 is Randy read for us, beginning in verse 14. Jesus went through what was called the Sermon on the Mount, where he sat down on this mountain. He, he taught through chapters 5, 6, and 7. And then we picked up uh, the story in chapter 8. As he continued, his journey began to move around, and, and people were healed. Radical things were happening. And so now we're, it's interspersed, his teaching is, with these great acts of power. And tonight we're going to get a dose of that teaching. Verse 14, Then the disciples of John came to him, that's Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now John was John the Baptist. Have you ever read through uh, the New Testament before? He was a predecessor of Jesus, just barely. Cousin of Jesus, six months older than him, John the Baptist uh, began to uh, come out uh, uh, with this ministry that was unique to other people. The way that he wore this, this hair of, of animals as his clothes, the way that he ate locusts and honey, and the way that he preached and called people to repentance, to repent from sins. Now, that is not a popular message today. And I imagine it wasn't a popular message then, but people flocked to him. They wanted to hear this guy that talked about things that other people weren't talking about. And as they flocked to, Jesus, to, to John the Baptist, he would baptize them. Hence the name John the Baptist. He would baptize them in water. And as they were baptized in water, they were committing themselves to follow the message that John the Baptist was giving to them. So it was their way of saying publicly to all people that they were repenting of their sins. In other words, turning from their sins and begin to follow a new way of righteousness with which John the Baptist was giving them. The only problem was that Jesus had not yet begun his ministry. So John the Baptist was telling people at the same time that he was appointing ahead to someone who was to come. And that was Jesus. But John the Baptist's disciples, those who followed him, were being trained to follow the scriptures as they had it, which at that time was the Old Testament, a series of laws and, and, and rules that they would follow. And then you had others called the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other religious teachers of the law who were also instructing the people to follow all these rules and laws. So that was the context that Jesus stepped into. He stepped into a world that we would call highly legalistic. Which means that there were all these rules and you had to follow those rules, obey those laws in order to get to God. That made a lot of sense in the Old Testament days when God first revealed himself uh, to the people of Israel and he gave them these laws so that they could know him. But by the time Jesus came along, he was to live a perfect life. The first one who ever did. Fulfill every single law. The only one who ever could. And die on a cross. When he died, he became a, a sacrifice. The law called for a sacrifice, and Jesus became our sacrifice. So that when he died, he took our sin upon himself, and he set us free. Free from sin, 
free from death, since now if we believe in him and follow him, we have an eternity with him in heaven. He also set us free from the law. So you and I no longer live under this weight of the law. Can you imagine what it would be like to constantly have this law running through your head and making sure that you obeyed this one and obeyed that one, obeyed that one, and obeyed that one? It was the type of existence they had in order to honor God with their lives. And Jesus came and, and he took it all away because he fulfilled it powerfully, perfectly. And when he did, he set us free. That's why the journey with Jesus is the greatest journey of freedom you'll ever have. All too often, people of the world may think that if you follow Jesus, it's a, it's a set of rules that are going to tether you and tie you down, and it's the complete opposite. It's a journey of the greatest freedom you'll ever know. It's God himself who comes to dwell with us, to live with us, and to, to guide us by, by his spirit so that we no longer have to live by that law, but we can follow Jesus with freedom because God's presence will convict us or give us peace, will guide us, and will speak to us. So that was the context here in Matthew chapter 9. The disciples of Jesus, verse 14, came, disciples of John came to him, Jesus, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? And now we know why. They and the Pharisees were fasting because they were following that Old Testament system. But then they said, but your disciples do not fast. Now fasting, if you're not familiar with it, is, is normally abstaining from food but it could also be abstaining from other things. You might abstain from social media if you live in 2021. You might um, abstain from movies or books. If you're addicted to working out, uh, you might abstain from working out. Whatever it looks like. In South Sudan, when Shauna and the kids and I are there, uh, we like to joke that we'd love to fast from beans and rice because that's kind of what we eat all the time. But uh, you've got this this idea that fasting is giving up something that is normally a part of your life so that you can commit that time to prayer and can commit that time to God. Another way of saying it was that we allow ourselves to become physically hungry in order to express our spiritual hunger. Now, it's difficult for us living in the U.S. in 2021 to imagine that fasting is very powerful. But if you have fasted before, you've probably tasted of the power of God in your life in a way that you've never experienced before. If you have been around others in other countries, you may have experienced the same. I remember going through school with an, with an Indian brother who was writing his thesis on fasting among Hindus and how important it was for, for those who followed Jesus in India to make sure that they were fasting so that the Hindus could respect the Christians. And he had stories in there about how powerful it was for those who followed Jesus to experience that fasting in their lives. And I know that it's been one of the greatest journeys that I've ever been on to begin to fast and to pray and to seek God in new ways when it is hard to do. And you begin to experience God moving in your life. Several years ago, we started a January fast here at Hope Church and. I think it's one of the greatest things we do. I'm guessing you all would agree as well. It's amazing every January to get together together and fast and pray for three weeks. For all of us as we come in as new covenant members at Hope Church, a lot of times it's a, it's a new experience. It's a daunting experience. Maybe, maybe you're fasting one meal a day. 
or uh, maybe you're fasting a couple days a week for those three weeks, or maybe you're fasting social media that whole time. A lot of us fast from a lot of different things, but as you go through that time and you fast and you pray, so many of us have experienced radical moves of God in our lives, and others haven't. There are times you may have gone through fasting and, and, and you have yet to experience the answer. One of the things I've seen in my own experience with fasting is that sometimes you fast and pray, but maybe months or years before you experience the fruit of what you're really begging God for. But fasting becomes a way of of us leaning in on God and, and desperately crying out for him. So if you are like my friend in college who is deeply hungry for spiritual truth, and he finds that spiritual truth in God himself, then how do you express to him that you're desperate for him? Because this relationship with Jesus is not about a set of, of rules and laws to obey, but it's about, it's about him. It's about being so desperate for him. So how do we experience more of Jesus in our lives, more of his presence, his comfort, his peace, his power, his presence through us? How do we experience that? Well, fasting becomes such a great go-to. I, I love talking with, with men and women who come and say, Peter, I'm so hungry for God. I want to, I want to know him in fresh and new ways. What can I do to, to journey, do you, have a, do you have a new Bible study that I can do? Or, or is there a, just a, this, this new group I can listen to and, and, and digest their worship music? Are there, there are other things that I can do to draw closer to God? And typically the first thing I'll say is, if you've never fasted before, I encourage you to make sure that is a regular part of your rhythm. Because when you fast, you are taking this practice that has been around for thousands of years and you're joining together with this global family of, of followers of Jesus. And it is us coming before God and saying, we are so hungry for you. We're willing to be physically hungry to express how profoundly spiritually hungry we are. I'm telling you tonight, Hope Family, if you want to move a God in your life and you're not currently fasting, I encourage you to fast. If you're really serious about that, and if you're wanting a breakthrough from this area where you're struggling or, or healing in this area or direction in that area or you just have this pure desire to be closer to God than ever before, I encourage you to fast. Just this week, I was on the phone with one of my sisters at, at Hope Church and we were talking about um, this friend who's going through a trial in their life and, and she's reaching out to her friends and we were talking together about what her friend could do and that's where we started. And she mentioned it, I mentioned it, it's, it was the starting point, fasting. Come before God in fasting. You may not even know how to start with fasting, but I would encourage you just to pray and ask God, what, is it, what does it look like? Don't, don't, don't make it a, a law unto itself. Don't beat yourself up to fast, but do it because you're just hungry and it's it's your expression of that hunger for God. And then you come before him and say, God, I, I want to fast. I, I love you. I want to do this as an expression of love for you. Now, what can that look like? And, and God may, may call you to a meal a day or, or a meal a week or, or something else that he wants you to give up. There have been times when, when for me, it's, it's been a physical giving up a meal. And, and at times, it's been, it's been other things. And we want God himself to, to direct us in what that looks like as we come before him. So verse 14 here, the disciples of John came to him. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? The first thing to point out is that fasting is good. Now, if you're fasting for the wrong reason, that's bad. 
And it could be that the disciples of John, the followers of John, and the, and the Pharisees, these Jewish teachers of the law, maybe they were fasting just out of a sense of, of legalism, just obeying the law. They weren't doing it maybe out of a, a love for God or a, a desire for God. Maybe they are just doing it because they had to do it. So maybe they were doing it for the wrong reason. We don't know. We weren't there. But what we do know is that fasting in and of itself is beautiful, powerful, rich, good, and will probably transform your life and mine if we do it. Verse 15, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. I love the way that Jesus answers these, these questions that are, that are brought before him. Here, here he responds to a question with a question. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Well, we're the wedding guests, the church. The Bible tells us that the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. So that's the metaphor, all of us collectively the church, not just Hope Church, but every church on the planet, every follower of Jesus on the planet, grouped together, we are known as the bride of Christ. And here you have Jesus Christ as the, the groom or the bridegroom. So, so take that that we're taught elsewhere in Scripture and, and bring that in this story. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? In other words, Jesus was the groom actually walking with them eating with them and moving around with them. And, and, and he's saying, look, this is like a, this is like a wedding. We, we, we should be celebrating the fact that, that I, as the, I as the groom, I'm, I'm here with you. Let's, let's enjoy that time together. There's going to be another day to fast, but it's not now. The days will come, he says, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And it did come because Jesus um, within just a couple years of this time, would die on the cross. He would rise from the dead. And after 40 days on earth, he would rise up into heaven uh, to be there with God in heaven. And at that time, they began to fast and to, and to pray and to call out to God in new ways. But while Jesus was here, it was time to celebrate. I love this story because it's, it's such a powerful encouragement to each one of us not to fast, just to fast. Not to do anything that we're doing, just to do it. But to make sure that our, our lives are really lived out of this love for Jesus and this, this desire to, to honor him. Not to do it because we have to do it, but always just to do it straight from our heart. This past January, as we did the fast uh, here at Hope Church, uh, our family was in South Sudan for a few weeks. And we were getting closer and closer to, to starting the fast that, that first week of January. And I... I was spending time praying and just asking God, what, what should I fast from and what does that look like? And my brother Simon Lee and I had, had been to a lunch with another pastor uh, who's just an amazing follower of Jesus. And Simon and I were, were just so struck by this brother. He's a little bit older than us and he was just giving, him, giving us so much wisdom in his experience of walking with Jesus. And, and fasting has been a, a big part of his story. And he's gone on a couple 40-day fasts. And I was just mesmerized listening to his story. And I, I wanted it so badly. And one of the challenges I've always had is, 
that if, if I miss one meal, it, it really messes me up physically. Two meals, I just kind of start shutting down. And I, I thought, maybe this is the year. Maybe God's just going to heal me from that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push through it. And so um, I was talking with Simon and, and just saying, when the, when the January fast gets here, I'm just begging God to give me a week, just a week. I'd really like a month, but if it could just be a week. So fasting and praying for that. And, and uh, well, I, oh, sorry, I was praying about fasting in that way. And so I was praying for that. I was leaning in on that. And uh, I felt like God was saying, well, I don't want you to start that way. So when you start to fast, um, you know, just start in, in these ways. And I looked at the list and I thought, this is, this is so easy. Like, I don't, want, I, don't want, I don't want an easy fast. And we can get back to Houston and these men and women are going to have these amazing stories of what they're giving up and how they're fasting. Because you all are legit. You're the real deal about how you follow Jesus. And, and I felt like I'm going to be a little bit embarrassed. And I'm just being straight up with you. That's what I was feeling. And then immediately I get convicted that, of course, it doesn't matter what I'm fasting from. It just matters that I'm being faithful. But apparently I didn't learn that lesson good enough because we got back here and we got through week one, going into week two. I remember sitting around with, with the guys in the discipleship group. We start sharing, what are we fasting about? It got to my turn and I said, well, this is what I'm doing now, but I'm thinking about doing this or that. And I got in the car afterwards and I was so convicted that I did not answer that question with humility. But I entered it with pride. I was too concerned about what are these brothers going, going to think about what I'm saying. Because this, this doesn't even seem like a legit pat. Like, are you the lead pastor or not? That does not seem like the real deal. And so I'm over here just feeling, feeling this weight that I'm putting on myself. I was probably a lot like the disciples of John. Or maybe like the Pharisees. If they were looking at it in a legalistic way. Well, I still didn't learn the lesson. Because we came up to week three and I went back to prayer and I said, God, we're coming up to, to the third week. Like, please, can this be the week where maybe I can just fast from food for a week or there's something else? And I, I felt like God was like, yeah, why, why, why don't you go ahead and, and, and try fasting for food? And whole family, I, I fasted breakfast and I made it through lunch and I felt like I was half dead by about three o'clock. I was in such bad shape. I, my, my body felt like I was, I was shutting down and I certainly was no fun to be around. And I apologize again to Shauna and the kids. And it finally reached a point where I walked in and I told Shauna, fasting is supposed to draw you closer to Jesus. But I'm currently acting like I'm moving away from Jesus. And maybe I just need to press into this for a little while. Or maybe I'm doing it for the wrong reason. And here it was, another opportunity. I think God let me do it just because I just kept begging him to do it. Because my heart was not in the right place. And so the fast this year was so profound to me. And very powerful and very convicting. Not actually because of the fast itself or what I fasted from or how I fasted, but because of the fact that my heart was not approaching it in the right way. And I love this story in a fresh and a new way from Matthew chapter 9. Because it reminds me that when you and I follow Jesus, we're not, we're not tethered to some list or rules of how we need to do things. And we're also not tethered to other people's expectations or perceptions of, of what we do and how our lives look. You and I are free 
to follow Jesus in the way in which he wants us to follow him. And this time in verse 15, Jesus was telling them, the wedding's going on. Celebrate the fact that I'm here. Let's walk together. Let's enjoy this time. You'll have the rest of your days to, to fast and to cry out to me in that way. But there's a time to celebrate, so celebrate. And I think that's what God was trying to give me in January. Peter, I want you to fast from from a few things. Why don't you just enjoy my presence the next three weeks? Instead of being consumed and and fasting a certain way, beating yourself up to make something happen, just just enjoy me and walk with me. And I hate the fact that I miss some of that. And so I love how this story just encourages us to be sensitive to God, even in fast. Nope, don't beat yourself up to do it for the wrong reason. Just enjoy God. And if enjoying him and pursuing him looks like fasting as it often does, then go after it with all you've got. And if he's leading you just to walk with him and enjoy him, but it's not the right season to be diving in with fasting, then just enjoy him for who he is. Verse 16, no one puts on a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment and the worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskin. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins and so births are preserved. As is typical of Jesus, he gives us a couple metaphors to help drive the point home. The first here is that if you got some cloth, so 2,000 years ago, their material needed to be pre-shrunk. If it wasn't, if you patched up a, a, a shirt with some, with some material that wasn't pre-shrunk, it will shrink in time and it could rip away. So it needed to be pre-shrunk so that it could go on old material. Then he gives the metaphor of the wineskin. If you have new wine, it needs to go on new wineskin. Old wine, old wineskin. So Jesus is really saying there's an old way of doing it. The, the law and the, the system of the Old Testament and all the, all the rules that, that needed to be obeyed. So that was separate than where we are now, Jesus is saying. That, that's old wine for old wineskin. But we're new wine with new wineskin. We're a new piece of cloth that needs a, a new patch. Jesus' way of saying, don't, don't get caught up in the legalistic system of how it used to be, but walk in freedom. And hopefully one of the things that have, has been such a blessing uh, to me as a recovering legalistic guy, when I first uh, began to walk with Jesus when I was 14 years old, I, I fell into this pattern of of legalism in my life where I would beat myself up to do the things that I felt like were honoring to God. I, I, I wanted so badly to honor him with my life, which was good, but oftentimes I went about it the, the wrong way. Where the Bible said, be holy as I, as I am holy. Where God says that to us in the Bible, I would do whatever I could in my life just to rip everything out and, and, and follow God, which Again, it was a good thing, an honoring thing. That, that part of me that wanted to, wanted to praise him with my life, but, but a bad thing and, and how I would beat myself up to do it. Because transformation in you and me doesn't, doesn't happen because we will ourselves to do it. It happens because God himself has free reigns to our life and we surrender to him and allow him to do the work that he wants to do. Well, I didn't realize that about myself. I didn't realize how I was beating myself up and operating what we call legalism until it was others who are also journeying with Jesus who said, Peter, the, the grace of God is on your life. Sometimes, sometimes you're walking in so much guilt or, or shame maybe because of your sin and, 
And Jesus just wants to pour out his love and his mercy and his grace over you. And I began to find that journeying with Jesus was more beautiful than I ever knew, more freeing and more lovely and more powerful. And as is the case for so many of us, if there's something that you've struggled with for a long time, you need brothers and sisters around you to, to help you in that. And so I, I love this journey at Hope and our, our discipleship groups and our, our home groups and, and the privilege it's been over all these years to, to journey together and have brothers speak into me in that way. And I want to encourage us as a church to be really faithful at Jesus is encouraging us in here. When it's time to fast or to run after whatever God has for us, let's do it with all that we have. And I hope many of you are going to go out and just start fasting this week. But when it's time for us to rest and just to, to dwell in the presence of God and just to experience his, his love and his mercy over us, let, let's do that. So let's not default to the old wineskin and miss out on the, the beauty and the freedom and the pure joy of what it means to know Jesus and walk with him. Let me ask you to stand. Let me ask our, our music team and our, our prayer team to come. If you are a guest with us tonight, we want to invite you as well as all of our covenant members uh, to come forward for prayer in just a minute. And we're going to have some, some ladies and some guys uh, up at the front. And we simply ask that one man and one woman not pray together alone. Otherwise, three or more or any other combination uh, please come. This is a, a time for us to express our hunger before God. Uh, all of us up here are broken. If you feel broken, this will be the broken receiving the broken. Anything that's on your heart, we'd love to pray for. It could be desire for healing in some way. It could be spiritual attack that, that you're going through. It could be direction in your life that you're looking for. It could be this pure longing for more of God, this desperate hunger for Him. Or maybe you're not feeling a desperate hunger but you want to. Whatever's on your heart and your life tonight, uh, we would love to pray with you. Father, thank you so much for the gift and the privilege we have of opening the Bible and, and hearing the words that you have for us, for how you speak to us and, and touch us and encourage us and change us. We thank you. I ask God that the work you've been doing in us as we've gone through Matthew chapter 9 would just would just continue as we go into this time of prayer. This place up here, this place of prayer, which is just a place, place for the hungry. I pray that as we come for prayer, just move in power, you'd stir our hearts and, and, and touch us as only you can. Maybe, maybe some of us have never walked with you before, wondering what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I pray that we would come. Maybe some of us are guests or covenant members experiencing any number of things in life, but we just want to fall before you in our hearts tonight and just ask for you to move and pray that we would come. As we sing, as we worship, as we lift ourselves before you, God, we proclaim our dependence upon you. We are weak, but you are so strong. So you touch us and move in us now. We pray this in Jesus' name.